Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. The beauty about what we're going to hear this morning is you're getting this for free. Uh, You may not realise this, but for a lot of non-Christians, they pay thousands of dollars to hear what we're about to hear. In fact, they pay thousands of dollars to people called therapists to try and get the sort of answer that you are going to get from this Bible passage this morning. That's a good deal, don't you think? It's a very good deal. We get it for free. It's, we pay thousands of dollars to deal with this issue in our lives. Discontentment. And the reason that we spend that much money trying to deal with this issue is because so often our content is linked to our joy. If we are content, we are often Joyful, as we heard wonderfully from Annie and the story of her mum is a case study of what we're going to talk about this morning. That Paul says, I have learned how to be content in all of my circumstances. And the overflow of that was 15 times through the book of Philippians. Rejoice, 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 even when he was in jail. <laughs> so... What we see is that we as a society struggle with contentment. And funnily enough, I was reading an article about lottery winners. How many of you think that if you win the lottery, you're going to be happy? Come on, be real. We're all family here. <laughs> Let me debunk that. There was an article here that said a bunch of teachers in Maryland, they won $336 million between them. And guess what? They went back to their jobs. I'm thinking back to the jobs. I'm never going to work again. <laughs> Um, and, and in fact, there was another man in the US who won $365 million by himself, but experienced a series of personal setbacks in the following years, including the death of his 17-year-old granddaughter, who had reportedly become a drug addict, and he himself was plunged into a darkness of depression. So you can see why this is so significant for us. Paul says, I have found the secret of being content regardless of my circumstance. And we pay all of this money, we spend all of this time, we as Christians do all of this wrestling, working or trying to work this out. How do I find joy regardless of my circumstances? We ask ourselves the question, why am I so discontent? (laughs) Even when... For some people, they have plenty, particularly those in need might feel discontent, but those in plenty have a lot, and it's still not enough for us. And can I suggest that the reason is that there is a deep yearning in each of us that yearns for a soul satisfaction that we seem to taste from time to time, and yet it never fully satisfies. What is this true contentment that Paul talks about? First of all, we see that it's, A secret. Verse 12, he says, I know what it's to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Why is it called a secret? Why does he call it a secret? He calls it a secret because not everyone has it, but everyone wants to know what it is. That's what secrets are, right? You don't have it, but you want to know what it is. More importantly, you've found that secrets aren't obvious. Secrets, are they're discoverable, they're available, but they're not obvious. And so Paul says, I've learned the secret of contentment. The secret to this deep longing that we've got. Have you ever found yourself constantly on the verge of this excitement? Maybe in a, a holiday, maybe in a career change, maybe something that was gifted to you. You know that, you know that feeling that we've been talking about for the past couple of weeks, that that thing within us that gets aroused 
fundamentally we think it to be joy. Have you ever felt that that joy in that moment? Some of you are already travelling back to moments of holidays or times with certain people. That thing that feels so elusive. We felt that, right? And yet it never quite lasts. And that's why Mark Twain, the great writer, said this. He said, oh, you don't quite know what it is that you do want but it just fairly makes your heart ache and you want it so life's full of lots of good things Um, good things to have pleasures money sex relationships life is full of all of these things but isn't it interesting when we look at our world that the reason that these things cause us so much heartache is because they make our heart ache. They cause, they cause us so much heartache because these are, these are snippets of the things that we are longing for that will bring us joy. It's like if you lived your life, you've done, you might have done this, you've tasted this, lived your life on Coke Zero. I call it the aspartamine principle. Aspartamine is the artificial sweetener. <laughs> if you've had the real Coke and then you've got to drink Diet Coke, you know the difference, don't you? You know the difference, you feel the difference and what happens, there is a heartache. Well, maybe it's not that big, I'm over-exaggerating. But there's a longing, isn't there, for that sweetness. When you've tasted that, you know what it is and you are constantly driven back to that, either through the glimpse of what it is or through the distinct understanding that you lack it. I want to put it to you this morning. Whether you're a believer or not, you can sense this, particularly if you're not a believer. You could be the whole reason why you're here because you want something that is beyond yourself and you can feel it. You can hung, you're hungering for it. You're grasping at air. It's like if, if a child is hungry, they instinctively know that they want food. A bird somehow from the nest instinctively knows that it's meant to fly and that is why C.S. Lewis says, if I find in myself desires that I can never fully satisfy, then I can only conclude that I was not made for here. The great news this morning is if you are hungry and you are thirsty for a joy that seems to escape you, the good news is that joy is not here. It is Outside of you, it is beyond you, it is before you, is the good news this morning. And that is what Paul was beginning to discover. In the meantime, he says, and that's your question. You say, well, we've been talking about joy. What about the meantime? I'm going through hardship. I'm going through challenges. I feel more like Paul in jail, but without all the rejoicey-joicey stuff that he's going on about. (laughs) How do I get this true contentment? How do I know that I've got true contentment? And you'll see there's two overflows that Paul has that proves that he's got true contentment. Because remember, we've been using these sorts of phrases that if, if a, an ageing thing diminishes your joy, then maybe you never had true joy to begin with. And more importantly for this passage, if a change in favourable circumstances steals your joy, then maybe you never had true joy or contentment to begin with. Paul had it because he is rejoicing in bad circumstances. And here's what he has. There's an overflow. True contentment, first of all, is having a peace and a joy with, where, with who you are. A peace and a joy with who you are, and it's a peace and a joy, secondly, with where you are. Let me touch on the first one first. A peace with who you, who you are. Verse 13, Paul says to us, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. 
I can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. Anyone heard that verse before? Is it me or is that the most misappropriated verse in all of the Bible? <laughs> and I'll tell you where I've seen that. Um, if you've ever had the, the privilege to go to some of the theme parks in the United States, you'll see that America, maybe we've got some Americans here in the, well, we do it in the congregation, I know them, but they've probably seen this. But I, I notice when I'm in theme parks, they're really into T-shirts, and, and there's always T-shirts for something. There's always groups with T-shirts. You know, that it's, 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 it's Wyoming High School football team, best of 1998 or whatever. And they're all in their T-shirts. And anyway, one caught my eye of um, all, of, all of these kids. And there was this, this little guy who was really quite scrawny and glasses and geeky and, you know, a bit goofy, trying to keep up with the rest of the group, work it through. And on, on his shirt had, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. <laughs> and I was like, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> now, look, to put you at ease, so you know that, oh my goodness, I turned up the church and all the pastor did was beat up on little kids with glasses, <laughs> right? Um, I, I worked this out, you know, I, I'm going to share with something, that, something with you that's going to take a lot of faith for you to understand this morning, but um, in year seven, I was a state, not a regional, a state representative for high, for high jump. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, was, I, was a st- I went to the state, the New South Wales State, state Games versus Queensland, all the rest of it, in high jump <laughs> um, when I was in year seven. And, and then anyway, a year or two afterwards, I, I, I contracted an incurable disease called shortness. <laughs> I'm praying. I'm hoping. Uh, and there's been nothing I can do about it. Ever since. Oh, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You think by year 12 I was going to the state games again for high jump? No, I just, I'd happen to have a growth spurt. And so when Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, he's not the kid with the t-shirt. He's not Sam the high jumper that thinks that somehow miraculously God will transform you into a world champion high jumper when you're five foot something. <laughs> but it's this. That God, through Jesus Christ, can give you a peace with who you are. When you read these things and you journey through what we've talked about, about Jesus last week being your righteousness, your sense of acceptance, then the peace and the joy comes from saying, I no longer have to be a champion high jumper in order to be at peace with myself. And can I put it to you that all of us are internal high jumpers? That there is a bar within each of us this morning that we are constantly trying to jump over. And it, like high jump gets higher and higher and higher, the more that you look at everyone else, that I'll never be good enough or more beautiful enough or successful enough. And what, what happens when what Paul has discovered, the secret here, this is the genesis of what could save you thousands in therapy, seriously. People spend thousands of dollars trying to get rid of their inner voice of self-criticism. You're never good enough. You'll never live up to anything. And as we've been learning through the joy that Paul has found is that he discovers that when Christ 
looks upon you and when God looks upon you through Christ, regardless of whether you are short, whether you are tall, whether you are poor, whether you are rich, whether you are in need, whether you're in plenty, whether you're on the lower rungs of society, whether you're a CEO, God says, none of that matters to me. You are acceptable. And anyone who's a Christian takes that into their heart and works that out in the wide world. Well, when criticism comes, when reputation is tarnished, when achievements don't happen, people find a peace with who they are. Have you got that? See, we know, we know, we know, we know, but we don't know, do we? (laughs) We know, but we don't know. And that is why Christians are still, like everyone else, constantly seeking to find contentment. We're discontented. So it's not just with who you are, but the other peace that this can give you and then corresponding to the joy that it can give you, how you know you've got true contentment is not just a peace with who you are. <laughs> you know, okay, I'm never going to do a high jump again, but that's fine. <laughs> but also, more importantly, a peace with where you are. Where's Paul? Jail. Chained to someone 24 hours a day. And how does he begin his letter? That chapter Back to people, rejoice. I'm fine. I'm fine in all of this. Paul, Paul is absolutely happy with where he is because he is living in the moment. He doesn't move too far ahead of where he is in and of himself. Paul says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've been there, but now I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. How does he do that? It's what the word for contentment actually means. Uh, the word for contentment is, is uh, autarkia. Archaea means uh, satisfaction. Archaea means literally, you know that feeling? You'll have it in a couple of weeks' time after a big Christmas lunch. You know that full feeling where, where you are just so wonderfully full that all you've got to do is just sit down in the couch and watch some cricket. <laughs> And you know that you're really satisfied because I don't even like cricket. <laughs> so Ikea is, Ikea is the sort of satisfaction that allows non-cricket watchers to watch cricket on Christmas Day because you are so full. But it's autarkia, or from the word auto, which means self. So Paul's saying the contentment is not just a contentment with myself, but more importantly, a contentment by myself. In other words, my contentment is totally detached from whatever is happening, happening around, around me. If you read the history of the church in Philippi in the book of Acts, he's eaten filet mignon. He's eaten beef eye fillet steak when you can't find that sort of stuff in the countryside with Lydia, the fashionista, who was uh, the, the entrepreneur of Philippi. He knows what it's like to have been in plenty. And yet at the same time, he leaves that house and he goes down and he hangs out with the slave girl and the Philippian jailer. And he says, I know what it's been, it is to be in one eye of experienced both and by the way I am happy by myself not just with myself but by myself regardless of my circumstances Kurt Thompson you remember him Uh, he was our guest speaker at the beginning of the year he uh, he's a psychologist psychiatrist that comes from a theological background he said this statistic that startled me he says we spend 80% of our time thinking of either the future or the past That means we just live 20% in this moment, in the present now. Hearing this, some of you are thinking about what you didn't do yesterday or what you've got to do tomorrow. 
Let's be real. We're so distracted. We're so discontented. Some of you thinking about your calendar of the week ahead. Can you imagine what would happen if we then lived 40% in the present? That would be like a doubling of our presence in the present. And Paul's trick in the secret of his contentment was, I have just learnt to live now. Now, here in the present. I not only have a peace with myself, but I have a peace by myself. So I guess you're probably asking then this morning, well, how do I know? Maybe I've got that, but how do I, how do I know that I've got true contentment? How do I know what that is? One of the ways you'll know is um, what bursts your life bubble? What, what bursts your bubble? Uh, it's, it's not a secret. I know what will bring me contentment, says Paul. Um, it's not a secret. I know what will bring me contentment, most of us say. I know what will bring me contentment, the right school, the right job, the right career, the right person, the right something, the right look. In other words, in, always in the beginning, people think that they know what will bring them contentment and then they get the thing that they think will bring them contentment and it doesn't. Have you ever experienced that? A writer called Henry Gisborne said, when you take away the life's lie of anyone, they lose all of their joy. When you take away the life's lie of anyone, they lose their joy. It sounds pretty cynical, doesn't it? But I love what he's getting at here. He's saying everyone has a life's lie. Everyone thinks that they know what will bring them the joy through contentment. They think they have it. And that they don't get it. And the one thing that reveals us, this passage says, the one thing that will reveal that to you is two things in life, either want or plenty. Either want or maybe some of you have already been there. You know what it's like to be in want and yet you've found a joy and contentment that you thought you never had. The big challenge for many of us is many of us have never been in plenty. In fact, the deepest challenge for us is that many of us, haven't been to either ends of the spectrum and so there is nothing within life yet that reveals to us the true source of our joy and contentment but here's a promise here Paul says verse 10 I rejoice greatly in the Lord that you renewed your concern for me indeed you were concerned but you had no opportunity to show it I'm not saying this because I'm in need for I have here's the word learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Don't miss this. True contentment may be a secret, but it's an available secret because Paul says, I have learned. You learn how to do this. It doesn't stumble upon you. It's not a gift of the Holy Spirit. I love joy, peace. I can hear all those ones as the gifts. I didn't see contentment in there. Contentment just doesn't fall upon you. You don't just discover it. You learn contentment. Here's some quick disciplines. As some of you practical going, how do you do that? How do I learn that? Here we go. For the first thing, three things quickly. First of all, you, you see your discontent for what it really is. You see it. The first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. Fundamentally, the source of our discontent is a biblical concept called idolatry. Idolatry simply is when we take good things and we make them ultimate things. It's the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. The things that you want so bad... If you don't have and make you miserable are the things that you put over or before God. Idols sociologically are the things that give you credibility. Idols psychologically are the things that give you identity. Idols theologically, we talked about it last week, are the things that make you feel right with God. In simple terms, an idol is something that you say, if I just have this, then I'll be content. 
So see the discontent for what it is. It's the placing of something before God. And so when you get into the first thing you do, the discipline, when you feel that discontent, is you ask yourself this question. What have I put at the center of my heart that is before God? What thing have I put in here that I think will satisfy me that never will? So you do that. You think, look, you think you're after these things, but these things are after you. They've got you by the neck. You say, I'm, I'm going after them. I've got it. I've got it. No, 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 no. They've got you. That's why we feel discontent. So see them for what it is. Second thing is you've got to preach to yourself. Not only do you identify that, but then you've got to preach to yourself. This is one of the most important lessons. You see it in the Psalms. You know, in Psalm 42 where the psalmist says, Why are you so downcast, my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. And can you see what the psalmist is doing? He's preaching to himself. He's, 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 he's talking to himself. He's, he's saying, what are you doing? It's like Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great preacher, once said, have you not realized that most of your joylessness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? <laughs> have you ever found that? You know when you wake up in the morning and you just... I don't know, if you like my disposition, I always found like my, my, my soul always tends to have bad news. Oh, you know, notice how you wake up, your soul already tells you that the joints are aching. Oh, yeah, we're going to have an arthritic day today. You know, I've got a headache or, or that thing that you've been trying to forget. Your soul has this wonderful way of reminding you as you wake up. Hello, hello. Just in case you forgot that thing you were trying to forget last night. Here it is. <laughs> Now, what you have to do in that moment is you have to go, excuse me, soul, I'm, we're going to have a conversation. Excuse me, soul, I'm going to speak to myself. Right? And what you do is you take that thing that has caused you that discontent and you say to your soul, why are you making me so angry? And then you say, well, have you not listened to the podcast from the Joy series in week two? You are not the basis for my acceptance. You are not my righteousness, thing, someone, something. You preach to yourself. So you identify what it is. What is it? Let's see. Something's got me by the neck because I'm getting angry, frustrated, guilty, whatever it is. Then you pull it aside first thing in the morning and you preach to yourself off the back of Philippians because you've done your homework, you've read it, you've listened to the podcast. You are not the basis for my acceptance. And then the final thing you do is you remind yourself that it's just icing. Just icing. It's just icing. my, My place... My place on a Sunday afternoon when the kids have treats is just uh, a trail of sponge. There is just, there's always just a trail of sponge all over the place because um, whenever we spend the good money to buy the kids a cupcake each, which is the sign of a 21st century kid, you know, a kid in the 2000s. Back in the 80s, you just got a quarter, quarter cupcake with your brothers and sisters. It's all good. Anyway, they all get one cupcake each, but then after they've finished their cupcake, uh, it's just a trail of, of sponge or big chunks of sponge because all they ever do is eat the icing. Have you seen this? <laughs> Some of you are going, yeah, I do that too, and I'm in my mid-40s to late 50s. <laughs> Icing's great. Icing's wonderful. But last time I checked with the doctor, it's not vegetables. It's not protein. It's not the appropriate carbohydrates that you need. It's pure form sugar. In other words, I don't need to be a doctor. You don't need to be a doctor to say you can't live off icing. So those things, the holiday, the bonus, the buzzing wonderful relationship, 
the beautiful time with the kids. You have to, in that moment, say to yourself, this is just sightseeing. This is what's remarkable about the Christian approach. The world says, oh, if you can't find joy in these things, don't touch them. Or they go the other end of the spectrum. If you're finding joy in those things, then pig out on icing. And Christians say, no, 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 no. Enjoy them. Pleasure is a good thing. Wanting is a good thing. Wanting is a good thing, but coveting is a dangerous thing. Wanting, you're the dog, and the desire is the tail. Coveting, the desire is the dog, and you're the tail. You get the picture? So you have to, in these moments of joy, go, this, I can't live off this. God is my protein. It's good. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's a moment. It's a memory. It's a, it's a point in time that was beautiful, but I can't live off this. I need to discover, like Paul, what the secret was to live with myself and by myself. Does that make sense? So as we finish this series... Some of you are going, so where was it? Where was the joy thing? Where was, where, where's the five steps to joy? And I need to remind you this. I don't think we got it right from the beginning, but you have to understand um, that joy is not an end product. It's a byproduct. To say, where's joy? Give me the five steps is to say, oh, can you just show me the five steps of how I get that funny feeling in my stomach when I go over the big dipper on a roller coaster like you don't get that feeling in and of itself you only get the feeling by being in the process of being on a roller coaster christian joy is an overflow of some of the fundamentals that paul has taught us all throughout the book of philippians of putting yourself before others of thinking upon the bigger pictures of life of preaching to yourself and, and detaching the things from your life that you see to be the real basis of your acceptance other than God. Joy is the overflow of all of these things. And like I said in week one, if you discover this, you will discover that as you do the disciplines of these things, you will tap into an artesian well of joy that is never ending and in an abundance. That is the good news for you this morning that will overflow into your life. But I said as we started this morning, and I'll finish with this, part of why this feels so elusive is, A, yes, it's because it's icing, but there is a joy that is designed for beyond. The reason why these things feel so elusive and in many ways, let's be real, so painful is because these things are mere glimpses that pass through the things and the people that bring us joy. Only until you know what is coming to you can complete fulfillment of your desires give you the sitting on the lounge, watching cricket style satisfaction of your soul. Only until you know what is coming for you. And I'll finish with this. J.R. Tolkien, who wrote a book, you know that? The Lord of the Rings? Yeah. He was mates with another guy, C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. They got together in their pub where they used to write. Back in 37, he said something like, let's write fiction books, you know, the kind that we really want to write. And so off they went. And so C.S. Lewis went off. And for the next 20 years, C.S. Lewis wrote Space Trilogy, book one, book two, book three, The Complete Chronicles of Narnia, book one, book two, book three, book four, book five, book six, book seven, and the screw tape letters. He churned them out, he churned them out, he churned them out. Tolkien, on the other hand, continually wrote over and over and over again. And in 37 years after all of that writing, he was still yet to produce just one book. He envied Lewis. 
He saw all these beautiful stories that were flowing out of them. And actually in the early 40s, he got so frustrated with his own artistic work that he almost gave up on writing altogether until one night when he had a dream. And he had this dream and he wrote it down into a story and the story was called Leaf by Niggle. And the dream was this of a little character in Niggle that had been commissioned by uh, the townsfolk to, to draw a beautiful mural on the side of a building. And so Niggle went about his work and, and time went on and went on and went on and finally it came for the day for the townsfolk to review this, r- reveal this beautiful mural that Niggle had painted. And uh, when the big day came, they came to look at it and all was on the side of this white big mural was just a tiny little green leaf down in the bottom right-hand corner. And they said, what have you, what have you done? Why have you not done more work? What is happening? And Niggle's like, I tried, I tried, and I tried, and he tried, and then Niggle dies in all the trying. This one leaf, and the Niggle's on his way up to paradise, and it's on a train up to paradise, and he, he, he says, stop the train, stop the train, and he runs out, and there on top of a hill is this beautiful tree full of leaves. And here's where we pick up the story. Tolkien writes, Before him stood the tree, his tree, finished. Its leaves opening, its branches growing and bending in the wind that Niggle had so often felt or guessed and had so often failed to catch. He gazed at the tree and slowly he lifted his arms and he opened them wide and he said, It's a gift. Suddenly Tolkien realised that there is a real tree and someday everyone will see it. The things that cause you deep discontent in your life like niggle are merely the green leaf on the bottom right hand corner of your own mural. And Tolkien was a Christian and he believed in the resurrection and he believed that there would become a day when there are no more tears and there are no more crying and we will dwell with God in his city and we will feel, feel an infinite and an inexpressible joy. When Tolkien realised in his future that the deepest desires of his heart were all there and he was going to get them one day and he was going to be with them one day, then he could handle the discontent with himself as he was comparing himself to Lewis and he could handle his discontent with his 37 years of writing and produce one of the greatest pieces of literature the world has ever seen. You have to go up. You have to go out. You have to go beyond yourself. And you have to look to the tree in the future that the things you experience are good and wonderful. The discontent we all have will live with us, but instead of crushing us, will be a reminder that there will be a day where we will stand before all the things that we have been searching for and the glimpses of joy, raise our arms to the Father and say, this is a gift. That is the promise of Christianity. It is the hope to which we all profess. It is the hope that fuels us all. May we remind ourselves of that in our earthly, meagre, little discontents this week. Let's pray. Lord, in this moment, will you give us, by your Spirit, the experience of that reality? We know, but we don't know, Father. 
we had no, but we don't heart no. And I particularly pray for anyone this morning that is in that battle and that wrestle of discontent. That you would take whatever has been said out into the ether of this room this morning, Father. And that by your spirit you would place that upon their heart. May it bring a comfort. May it bring a peace. May it bring joy to us all this morning, I pray, Father. May we open ourselves up to you now in this moment and these silence. May we prepare ourselves to hear from you. May we prepare ourselves to be satisfied, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.